And if you have your Bibles and can turn with me to Acts chapter 11, we'll be reading starting at the beginning of that chapter. Acts chapter 11, and as is our custom, you'll see the words on the screen behind me and on the monitors around you. Here's what God's Word says. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. That is today's scripture from Acts chapter 11. You may be seated. Happy uh, Valentine's Day or Singles Awareness Day. Um, I think it's fitting for this passage as we talk about God's love and his lack of partiality or his impartiality. Um, There would come at the time that our nation celebrates love in general and we get a chance to to take a look at God's love. Um, As Carrie mentioned, I'm Josh Burkhart. I am a pastoral intern here at Good News. Um, I am uh, a student at Moody Theological Seminary. Um, yeah, Moody. So, uh, and I, uh, I have the privilege of enjoying life with uh, my lovely wife, Alyssa, my adorable son, Jedediah. And uh, we have been in Chicago for about four and a half years now. Um, we've really come to love the city. Um, you know, it has been one of the most beautiful blessings and tangible expressions of God's love and his goodness to me to walk through life with my family. Um, and as it's expanded with the birth of my son nine months ago. Um, and so as I come to you, I come as, as one of you. Um, but to give you a little bit of background, I'm not from Chicago, so that sets me apart in some ways. Uh, I come from northern Florida. I grew up there. So um, we moved up here in December of 2010, just in time for a snowpocalypse that February of 11. So a good welcome to Chicago, right? Um, closest thing to snow that I had seen before was the white sand on the beaches, and it's not, it's not nearly as cold. Um, and so I am a student at Moody, but that doesn't mean that I'm good with my words. I um, consider myself a carpenter. I'd much rather work with my hands or uh, just sit off and mull over deep concepts by myself as opposed to, um, you know, verbally process or anything like that. So I'm going to do the best I can with my words um, and trust God to fill the void. But honestly, I'd be thrilled if I could just telepathically communicate to each of you all that I've studied um, and skip the whole uh, words and verbal thing. Um, But please pray with me as we jump into our passage. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. Father, thank you for bringing us together for the proclamation of your word for allowing us to come before you in prayer and fellowship together as a family in Christ. Thank you that you, though you know all things, you still love us beyond measure. 
Father, please let your truth prevail today and give us a greater glimpse of who you are. For your glory, God. Amen. Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We'll be beginning in verse 1. But as we get started, I want you to think about how you might perceive me differently if I had showed up in a full black suit. What if I had shown up in a t-shirt, in old jeans? What if I had shown up in shorts and flip-flops? Given the weather, that one's not likely. How would the way that I look change how you perceive me? How would it change your perception of me if I had run up the stairs and leaped to the front of the stage instead of walking up? If I had come up wearing a baseball cap or a cowboy hat, how would that shape your perception? How would that change the way that you hear the words that I'm about to say? In Acts chapter 10, we start in verse 1, and it says this, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. That brief description would be easy for us to just kind of take in, to gloss over. Um, But I want us to get a picture of who we're actually talking about. Just as the way that I choose to dress or didn't choose to dress communicates of who I am and of the setting and of what I'll be communicating, so this little descriptor in these first three verses changes how we should understand Cornelius. It changes how he was perceived by the Jews, by the people of his day. So first it says that he was in Caesarea. This was a very prominent city. It was a very wealthy city. It was a very prestigious city. It was named in honor of Caesar Augustus. It was built by Herod the Great. It was technologically advanced. It had aqueducts that brought in fresh water from the mountains down to the city. It was the only good seaport for all of Judea. It was built because there was not one prior to this. Um, It was also the home of prominent officials, of Pilate, Felix, and Festus. It also says he was a centurion. Now that has a lot of significance because a centurion was a high-ranking officer in the Roman army. He would have been the commander of a hundred men. Now, he is one of the highest positions that a soldier can reach. Because a centurion usually rose up from the ranks because he was one of the people. And as a centurion, as this commander of a hundred men, he would be the one who had direct contact with the men and actually gave the orders and carried out their missions. So it would require courage and strength, nobility, honor, integrity. In addition to this, we see that he was of the the Italian cohort. It's been documented that this group is the one that ruled over Palestine. He ruled over Judea. And so as we think about the Jews' approach to him, as the early church's approach to him, he would have been a ruling oppressor. 
he was a commander in the empire that now um, ruled over Judea. So he was an outsider. But we see mention of his character as well. It says he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So we see that he followed God's law. He worshipped God. He prayed continually. But by nature of his birth, he was still excluded from God's people. Even though he had the heart and the character and the actions that would have modeled following God, he was still excluded by nature of his birth. He was a Gentile and not a Jew. Even though he had a good reputation and was well-liked by all within the Jewish community, he was still an outsider. Um, During this time, all people were welcome to come and worship the true God. They were all welcome to come and to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in order to do this to the fullest capacity, they had to become what was called a proselyte. They had to become a Jew physically by way of circumcision. This was one of the the rites of initiation. This was one thing that they had to cross over this border. And then still, they weren't a full Jew, but that was as far as they could reach. As far as we know, um, Cornelius had not done this. So we see that he was still separated physically, so the Jews would have considered him an outsider, even though all of his actions would have very much aligned with theirs in worshiping God. You know, as we think of the the separation between Jew and Gentile, I think it's one of the greatest separations, the greatest divides that we could have. Because they were separated by the most foundational part of any human being. That's their birth. Something Cornelius had no choice over. He was born a Gentile and not a Jew and therefore excluded. And he could take steps towards reaching becoming a Jew and he could do that and get to where he could worship God but not in the full capacity. He would always be an outsider. There would always be a, a separation there. Carrie mentioned prayer and it is definitely a, a key point in this. As we move on in verse 3 it says about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come into him, and Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Cornelius was a man of prayer. It says he prayed continually, gave alms to the poor, things that are very noble before God. And God had heard and seen Cornelius. How sweet those words must have been to know that your prayers and that your gifts, your offerings, your alms before God had been heard and now God is reaching out to you and affirming that. That all of your your commitments and your investing in the church and in loving God's people and in serving them had been heard and now God is stepping down to you. I think it's interesting to note that it says he stood in terror. Again, this was a 
strong, courageous, brave soldier. This was a commander. But when God shows up, he stands in terror. Once he saw this vision, he chose to believe. He chose to believe that it was God speaking to him. And he chose to obey. And I think that's significant, and I think that's a a mark of Cornelius and who he was and his faith. That when God spoke, he obeyed, and immediately he called his servants and he sent them out to find Peter. Now our story jumps to the other side, to our next character, and that's Peter. So we're going to jump to to verse 9 of chapter 10. And the next day, as they, Cornelius' servants, were on their journey, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. You know, I, I mentioned my, my struggle with words. I think the, the very nature of language is that it's very ambiguous. It's fluid. It's always changing. Right? Words have this evolution as time progresses. The context defines what they actually mean in that moment. You know, there's a, for me, there's a struggle between simple, commonly understood words and very precise, technical words. On the one hand, the, the simple words can have a, a full range of meaning and people just assume that their understanding of it is what is being said. On the other hand, the, the very precise technical words are largely un, you know, not understood well. And they're big and then it, it takes a lot more work to understand them and to know them. And you have to have a much larger vocabulary. But still, even in the midst, I, I think there's still lots of opportunity for misunderstanding. I think miscommunication is one of the largest things that we focus on today in leadership, training, or in relationships, in marriages. It's always the communication, right? The five love languages. It's always about how do I communicate? You know, for a, a kind of fun, cheesy example, take the word cool. Right? So we're talking about a temperature that is lacking in heat and cold is a further extreme of that right so if it's cool you're lacking some heat cold you're lacking a lot of heat as we have outside but if I say that a person is cool if I say that Ugo is cool okay some of you think you know what I mean do I mean that his blood temperature is less than 98 degrees? Do I mean that he lacks a warmth of friendliness? Or do I mean that he's cool because he wears cool clothes? He's attractive, right? He's popular. 
Single awareness day, there you go. What if I said Ugo is cold? Are you suddenly drawn to him? Do you want to befriend him in the same way as if he was cool? Because if cold is therefore just a further step to the extreme of... If cold isn't more of cool, then why does suddenly that change? When he was cool, we all want to be his friend. When he's cold, now we want to step away. And how is it that him being cool could actually be because he's warm? I'll leave that one with you. My point is, language has many pitfalls. Now, God could have chosen to tell Peter, I want the Gentiles to be part of my people. Accept them fully, embrace them as my people, because what Christ did on the cross is enough and it covers it. They are fully mine, it's fully paid for, they no longer need to be circumcised. Welcome them into my family. They are now your brother and sister, fully in the way that they are. But he didn't. God chose instead to give him a vision, an image, a picture of what he wanted. A picture of his will. Something that that reaches beyond the nature of language. Something that connects with us more in the core. Now, for what reason exactly, I don't know. But I know that this is important enough that God chose to speak in this way and not in a different way. He could have chosen to use any way. So I think it's important that, that we, we note this in, his, in the vision. Now some of us, I don't know if we're on different diets and there's been you know, low carbs or no carbs or high protein or all vegetables or you know, vegan. For the Jews, this was more than just dietary. This was more than just, I want to be healthy. This was a defining point that separated them as God's people. This was a tangible expression that they were showing themselves as faithful in believing God to be true and that God's law was good. So for Peter here to say, No, Lord, I have never put anything common or unclean in my mouth, this was him identifying with the law and the code that God had given them. This was his act of faith. You know, I... It's interesting to see that I think Peter, the early church, had some misunderstanding of what God's word really meant, or what God's will was. How much more should we be careful in our interpretation of God's word? That when we, we have something and we, we read it here and we say, this is exactly what this means and this is how it looks and this is how we should apply it. Yes, we can have confidence and we can study and we can know it and we can have surety in it. But at the same time, may we be humble and always be willing to accept that maybe we missed, we missed it a little bit. Maybe there's an interpretation that God has yet to reveal to us. The the separation between Jew and Gentile was not permanent. It didn't reach to the core as it seems the Jews thought it did. He says that it is unlawful for me to eat these things in the vision 
And in our scripture reading earlier, we saw that it was unlawful for him to even eat with Gentiles. That when he got back to the church, the leaders of the church criticized him and say, how could you go into the home of a Gentile and eat with the Gentiles? You know, I was always thinking, who would we eat with that we would expect to be criticized by the church? Is there anybody that if I had lunch with last week, I would expect Pastor Ralph to come to me and say, Josh, you shouldn't have ate with that person. This isn't good. You, you, You shouldn't associate with that person. This is wrong. You're an intern. You're a leader. You, you can't do this. Like, that's, that's not good. Who is it that we would expect a rebuke from for eating with? You know, nobody really came to mind for me. I think that we have so adopted this principle that God shows no partiality that we can't even really understand this concept. I think it's in a, a different category, a different frame of mind that we, it doesn't even resonate with us. You know, I can look around this room and see people from several different countries, from Puerto Rico, from Guatemala, from Japan, from the Dominican Republic, from Canada, right? There's, there's people all around this room and we don't even think about it. We're just, we're people. We all love Jesus. We all live in Chicago. For those visiting, you know, glad you're here. Um, but so there's, we identify with people in a different way. And so I, I think it's helpful if we try to understand that as we walk through this. You know, one thing that struck me was that God repeated the vision three times. Comes down, Peter says, no, Lord, I can't. God says, don't call what I've made clean common. Goes back up, it comes down again. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call that common. There's power in something being repeated in such a manner. For me, it was easy to just skim over that. And of, of course, you know, it just it came and repeated. And something about this we need to catch. What God has made clean, do not call that common or unclean. You know, I mentioned earlier the, the separation between Jew and Gentile, and I don't think we can get it. I think it seems extreme to us. I think I hear that, and I, I think that's ridiculous. Why would it be so offensive for him to eat with Gentiles, to socialize, to associate with the Gentile? It's, it doesn't make sense, and as I said, I, I think we just we don't have that capacity in our, in our minds anymore. Um, and so this, this is a pivotal point, because now... Christ's sacrifice has covered that. Now that distinction is no longer needed. Before, God used that to display his power and his glory through setting apart his people. He would take his people and he would separate them from everyone else and say, these are my chosen people. 
But now because of the work of Christ, he says, now these are my chosen people. That whoever would believe that there's no more distinction based on race or by birth. There's no more distinction on the externals. But God looks at the heart. King David came to mind. When God came and said, God does not look at the outward appearance of a man, but he looks at the heart. We'll be going through the life of David in a, a few months. And King Saul looked the part of a king. He was tall, it says he was head and shoulders above the rest of the people. I imagine it's safe to assume that he was very good looking, likely charismatic. Something about him made the people look at him and say, that's a king, that's who we want for a king. That's who we want to follow. That man is impressive. But God says, I don't look at that. I don't look at the outside of man. I look at the heart. And so we see David come up. He was the youngest of his family. That gave him the least amount of right and title and privilege in that society. So we go from looking at the best, that everyone said, that's the man I want to follow, to David, who we would just pass by. We wouldn't even give it a thought. You know, we're in the midst of municipal elections here. Right? We are currently in early voting. Um, I thought of uh, the Dailies, Mayor Dailies. Combined, they held 43 years in the office of mayor here in the city of Chicago. And I think of all the time that they invested, all the time that their family has invested in this city. And you can think good or bad, that's beside the point. Like I said, I'm from northern Florida. I grew up there. Because I'm a full-time student here, I still have my residency there in Florida. Now imagine I win the mayoral election this year. Imagine I become the mayor of Chicago. Not being a resident... I mean, of course, I'd have to at that time, but not having anything invested here, not having anything to build a campaign on here. Imagine if I became the mayor. As young as I am, as foreign to Chicago as I technically am, there would be, be a shock. You'd be like, what? All these other people who have lived here and invested their lives here and invested in the community and have run smaller organizations to benefit the community, how could they be overpassed? And this Floridian, who's not even been here five years, how does he get to run the city? How is he the mayor of Chicago? I think it would be similar for the Gentiles to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's get down there. I'm, I'm skipping a, a bit ahead. we saw that God was in this from the beginning. We see that God was the one who gave Cornelius the vision, then he gave Peter the vision. He initiated this. Let's skip down to where um, Peter actually delivers the sermon. Let's go to verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation 
anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? They were amazed that the Holy Spirit would fall on the Gentiles. This was something that they never even thought of. They were going to preach so that forgiveness could be received, so that the Gentiles could receive salvation, because Peter had already been prepared by the Holy Spirit through the vision to come and do this. But the fact that they were given the Holy Spirit in the same capacity as the Jews, God's chosen people, throughout millennia, was beyond their expectation for sure. Beyond what they thought was possible. So I want us to think about who do we see as outsiders. The Gentiles were so far separated and so much so outsiders from the Jewish people that for them to receive the Holy Spirit was unthinkable. For them to receive salvation was even a stretch and new because of Christ. Who do we see as outsiders? And are we in any way guilty of the same thing as the Jews? Do we see people and based on their externals, based on how they look, where they live, what job they do, where they went to school, do any of those things put them in a different category from us? Is there any way that we say, well... Yeah, God can save all people. We know that. God is capable of saving them, but not really likely. I mean, yes, we're bound to share the gospel with them, but it's probably not going to do any good, at least not anytime soon. So why not invest in the people that are more likely? Like, let's use our resources in a way that's um, efficient. Let's use our resources in a way that we're likely to see fruit. Why waste them when these people are so close to these people who are so far? 
All these Jews still need to hear about Jesus. Why would we take it to the Gentiles? They're so far out there. Let's help these, these Jews that are close and they know the word of God and they were raised through God's law. Let's help them just understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Why, why go out there to the Gentiles? Why go to those who are outsiders? Cornelius was an outsider. He was an outsider because he was a Gentile. He was an outsider because he was part of the Roman Empire. He was an outsider because he was a high-ranking officer in the Roman Empire. He was an outsider because he lived in a prestigious, prominent city that was predominantly Gentile. You know, I, I think sometimes we have the tendency to think of outsiders as those below us. That we tend to think of the drug dealers and those living on the streets and the atheist and those people who would define, um, define themselves apart from God. Those who we would have pity on and see they're outsiders and they need Jesus. Let us help pick them up Let's help pick them up to our level. But being an outsider goes both ways. Prejudice goes both ways. Not just to those below us, but to those above us. Who are some of the people that we might consider outsiders and just beyond the practical reach of the gospel who are above us? Do we think corrupt politicians? Do we think authors such as Bart Ehrman? Do we think of those who would, who have built an empire off greed and deceit? Do we think of the rich people down um, the Magnificent Mile who make more in a day probably than I make in a year? Do we separate those people from God's reach? Not only do we separate the lowly, but we we also separate those above us. And I think prejudice does go both ways. You know, who are the people that intimidate you? Are there people in your life that oppose the gospel? that intimidates you. You know, the, the Jews separated themselves from the Gentiles for the sake of purity. Right? There was a, a fear of being defiled if they ate with the Gentiles, if they ate these unclean foods that were offered to Peter in the sheet and carried back up. There is no fear of being defiled anymore. Jesus covered that. So now we are free from being defiled just as the Jews were free from being defiled. They no longer needed to protect their purity based on their social customs, based on adherence to the law because Jesus fulfilled the law completely. He paid for it. In the same way, we no longer need to protect ourselves from being defiled by staying 
within the walls of the church, by staying in respectable areas, by staying in respectable positions, by keeping ourselves clean from those who would be despised. Jesus himself ate with prostitutes, and he had no fear of being defiled. He was free to go and to love them and to serve them because it's not what goes into a man or comes on from the outside that defiles a person. It's what comes out from a person that defiles him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said the the Pharisees were whitewashed tombs, that inside they were vile and disgusting and they had been defiled because of what was coming out of them, not from what they were protecting themselves from the outside. One last thought of challenge that I want to pose. Who in our churches do we see as sort of second-class citizens? Who are those that, yes, the gospel has reached them, yes, they've been brought to salvation, yes, they are part of us, but they're not quite on the same level as everybody else. Because of their background, because of where they come from, they're, yes, they're welcome, but they're not, not quite on the same level. We can't let them, you know, lead anything. Or we, we don't want them to be an example because of where they come from. Is there anyone that we would tell our youth to, yes, model these people, don't model that person because where they come from, the way they dress. Don't model that person because of the music that they like. Please don't misunderstand me. I mean very much to take character seriously. Let's look for honesty and integrity right, and strength and humility and courage. But may God help us look past the externals to see to the heart of a person. God's grace reached across the greatest chasm of separation from Jew to Gentile to save Cornelius and his entire family. God's grace reached across the greatest chasm of separation to reach from perfection into corruption, to reach from ultimate beauty into the the epitome of ugliness that we are, from perfect righteousness to the vilest of sinners to save us. May God help us to reach across the chasm of separations that we have to share his grace and his love. Please close with me in prayer. Father, truly you have reached across the greatest separation that ever existed. God, you reached from the perfection of life and all that is good and true down to humanity. Father, you saved us from the death that we created for ourselves. Father, thank you for loving us equally. Thank you that you do not show favoritism or partiality, but you see beyond our backgrounds and our personalities our achievements. 
our failures and even our fears to see who we truly are. Father, you know all things and still you love us beyond measure. Father, please help us to join with you in spreading your grace in your life to the world around us. Help us to see beyond our external distinctions into the hearts of those who truly love you. For your glory, God, and because of what Christ did. Amen.